Side one is calm, non-abusive, although highly fragmented. Side two is schizophrenic. Give my ball and yard of grass. I'll give you a move for the perfect pass. Give my ball and yard of spice. He'll give you a move with good liquor ice. still time the AFTN podcast now we've been talking about doing a podcast for about a year now so we finally got off our ass and got together and put something up here for you so these podcasts are going to complement the stuff that we do at West Coast Soccer there's going to be kind of different kinds of episodes within the episodes that we're doing some of them like this very first one is going to be a bit more serious chat have a couple of interviews thrown in as well we're also going to do a lot more light-hearted stuff, just some general banter. Hope to get some, at least once a month, round tables with a few guys together. Just kind of sit down, chew the fat, shoot the shit. Ultimately, all these podcasts, though, are going to be about Vancouver Whitecaps, Major League Soccer, the game in North America, and also just the world of football as a whole. There'll be some fun sections thrown in there. In the various ones that we're going to do, we're hoping to get some listener interaction as well. And you don't have to worry, it's not just going to be myself that's droning on for half an hour or so. I'm also going to be joined by AFTN Assistant Editor, Steve Pander. Hey Michael, uh, and uh, hello to everybody out there in Whitecaps Nation. Very excited to be on here for the launch of the AFTN podcast, hopefully we can give it fun for everybody. And uh, uh, let's get this going. Indeed we should. So let's kick things off with a very brief look back at the the Houston game at the weekend. Don't want to spend too much time talking about it. I've written about it so much this week. It's been covered on the West Coast Soccer podcast. Everyone else under the sun's had their say on, on everything that happened. All I'll say is it left a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth because the Caps took the lead. It was a great goal from Darren Maddox. Darren then had that chance, but she, he didn't convert in the second half. And they, the game seemed to turn on that with with two quick Houston goals. And I think it was a game that the Whitecaps could have come away with a point. But at the same time, it was a game that when you looked at the fixtures going into the start of the season, it wasn't really a game that I saw the Whitecaps taking anything from. And hopes were raised a little bit because Houston were weakened with all the players being away on international duty. And they did play well, they did well, there's a lot to take from the game, there's a lot that they can build on and, and really take forward in the remaining road games that they're going to face this year. So what, what about you, Steve? What did, did you kind of make of the, the performance against Houston? I thought the Houston game went uh, fairly well compared to matches they played last season. 
especially when you consider that the games last year, they seemed to absorb pressure, but they never had any kind of attack on the opposition. This game against Houston, they seemed they they had they, they again they had to absorb pressure. Uh, they the times they sat back, but there were t- plenty of times where they held possession. They broke down the team, and they also uh, were able to work a little bit of uh, counterattack. Of course, Maddox missing the goal, but that's the whole point of the thing. Is that they? I think the attack was more, and they were more confident in their attack on the Houston goal. And the Caps are going to have to try and be at their best and put in a similar performance this weekend when they're away from home once again as they head down to face Chivas. Now, when you saw the fixtures at the start of the season, realistically you were looking at this game and thinking, you know, this is probably going to be our first away win of the season. Almost following up last year where we got our first ever MLS away win against Chivas in it was a game that you are expecting to take points from. But the way that Shivas have started the season, that's not the case anymore. They've they've been a, a joy to watch in their their first four games. It's been entertaining. The first first game of the season they were kind of taken apart and you're thinking, Yep, this is maybe the disaster that everyone was thinking that they were gonna be. But since then, Shella seems to have just pulled the team together just got them all playing for each other and for him, and they've been a really big surprise package. I mean, what's your thoughts on it, Steve? I mean, how surprised have you been with how Chivas have started this season? Very surprised about the Chivas start, like most people are. Like, and again, like most people did, I put them near the bottom, or if not uh, at the bottom of our predictions at the beginning of the season. Uh, don't know where this came from. I'm not going to say you knew they had talent because I had no idea who the players were that they had brought in. Uh, You knew they had pieces here and there, but they also got rid of some guys. So yeah, very surprised about their start. Now, we could focus on their attacking play that they've introduced this year, or we could look at the great goalkeeping skills of Dan Kennedy. They're sometimes bomb-scare defence with their three at the back. But I think the thing that's intrigued me most this year and probably is why I have enjoyed watching their games so much is the fact that they are dirty bastards. It's like they have really been putting themselves about this season. It's almost been like a rotational fouling system. It's kind of something that you got back in the 70s and 80s where teams sent their players out to just take out the best players on a rotational basis so that they they didn't pick up the bookings, they all got spoke to by the referee, but they did the damage to the, to the opposition. Now, I like that. It's something which I like a nice physical, physical player. I, I, I like my team to play tough, to play a bit dirty. When they're playing, though, against my team, obviously I don't like that. And that is what we're, we're going to see on, on Saturday. It's like... There is no doubt that Shivas will continue to be physical. And one of the concerns I have is, do the Whitecaps have the players out there that have the stomach for and are the match for having that kind of physical encounter? And it is a concern. I mean, do you feel that the Caps have the players for a battle like this? Or are you concerned really about how dirty... Shivas are possibly going to be. 
the the biggest concern I have about Chivas's dirty play, uh, or so-called dirty play, is it may cause a freak injury to one of their important players, the Whitecaps' important players. So that would be the biggest concern. Another concern um, is well, you what you were saying that do the Whitecaps have the players that can match the fight? I think they do, and my concern there actually is that they the referee catches one of them retaliating against one of those plays and getting like a, something like a straight red card, somebody f- go, flying off the handle. And that would be the second concern I have about the uh, the Chiefs' dirty play, that there's some kind of retaliation by Whitecaps. They go down a man and then are uh, backs against the wall at that point. Well, that's very good points. And it, it is something of a concern because if the Whitecaps retaliate, if they lose their cool, lose their temperament, go back to their ways of last season and picking up a lot of bookings, which they have done so well this year to, to not do. They've only had one booking so far in, in their three games, and that's just tremendous compared with what happened last year. And you don't want them to get drawn into a kind of game where where they're given back as, as good as they get, unless they get away with it, in which case, yeah, go for it. That's that's how I, I look at it. But it has to be a concern to the Whitecaps. So how much of a concern? Well, we had a chat with a few of the guys at training this week just to see what what they think of Chivas's dirty play this year. Are they concerned by it? Do the Whitecaps have the players that, that are up for a battle like that? and Or do they even have to change their game? So we spoke to Martin Rennie, Joe Cannon, and one of the guys that could be one of the players that Chivas target really on Saturday, which is Eric Hurtado. So let's hear what they say about that. Chivas have been really physical so far this year. Yeah. 76 fouls, I think it is, in the first four games. Right. How do you play against that? Do you try and be physical back or just play a normal game? Just play normal, I think. And, uh, you know, they've they've had, I think, at least one player sent off this season because there's a lot of their tackles are very dangerous. And if they do connect, then there's going to be a red card. So uh, we just have to play our normal game and hope that the referee does his job. Are you concerned at all that they might target the, the faster guys to try and take them out of the game early? No, I don't think so. I think they're just um, you know, they're, they they just get stuck in everybody. <laughs> I don't think they target anyone individually. Would, Did, would you look to put in more physical players then, in response? No. We'll just play like as normal, I think. Yeah. You're not going to have a big ball at midfield or anything? Like, no, no, hopefully, no, not. Right? <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> but what, I think we've only got one yellow card in the first three games this yeah. season, so I'm sure that's yeah. a big story that since was... it was the opposite when we had a few. That's Darren, not right now. Darren's discipline in particular has got a lot better. Yeah. Is that from him working on it with you or is that just maturity? Uh, we've worked on it a lot. Um, which, you know, Obviously for him he has to be on the field in order to score goals, so he, if he's getting suspended then that's not going to help him. So it is maturity too, but it's also helping him recognise that it's really important that he, you know, some of it was the way he was jumping for the ball, some of it was closing down people that... It, it wasn't, it wasn't of any value. It was closing someone down in the corner and catching them late and things like that. So um, I think he was a little bit unlucky with some of the decisions last season, but I think he, he has learned a lot. And like I say, in the course of a season, you'll have ups and downs with it, but I feel like overall we, we're doing pretty well. Chivas have been really physical so far this year. There's yeah. 76 fouls in their first four games. Is that something we need to match out there or just play our own game and just... No, I, I think it's something you have to be aware of in the sense they're probably going to try to throw you off your own game with their physicality. Um, obviously, you need to be aggressive and assertive. Um, and I, uh, yeah, and I, I think that um, you know you, you got to remember what they're trying to do uh, in the context. But you can't back down. 
you've got to go in and you've got to be aggressive as well. But it, by no means, you know, should you play a different game. Mm, I know that uh, they're probably going to be cheeky, you know, uh, Mexican style of play. But uh, you know, if they're going to dance on the ball, we're going to crack them. <laughs> so. They've been really physical this year. They've committed 76 fouls so far in their first four games. How do you play against that? I mean, uh, we have a pretty tough team. You know, we got Gersh, we got Dan, we got me. We're pretty strong players, and it's hard to foul someone who, who's not going to fall down, you know. And if, if that happens, they start hitting us, and the ref sees we don't fall down, and then we fall down, that's cards for them right away, you know. So we just got to play the system, you know. Good stuff. I, I like those answers. I especially liked... Eric Hurtado's one there. It's you've got to really like the confidence and the swagger of the guy. It's if Shivas are two fans in the ball, then we'll just have to crack them. It's like that's fantastic. Lo- love to hear that. Of course, the, the big concern is that Hurtado, Manny, Matix, any of our, our young fast guys that might be playing, they might might be the guys that are going to get cracked themselves, as as we discussed earlier. Now the, the thing. With the lineup for the Shivas game, it's pretty much set in stone bar that one position. Doesn't look like Kenny Miller is going to be fit enough to, to, to start after his long flight back from Serbia during the week. So the only kind of decision that you kind of feel Martin Rennie maybe has to make is, is it going to be Eric Hurtado that starts again or is Camilo going to get get his chance? Some youthful swagger, as I was saying there, a little bit of dynamic pace to trouble the the Shiva's back line, or a bit more of an experienced head that can maybe cope with with some of the aggressive Shiva's tactics. Camilo or Hurtado? Who does it have to be for you, Steve? Uh, pretty conflicted on that. Uh, on one hand, you have Camilo, who has... See in the the two substitutions he's had, he's proven kind of proven that he deserves a start. So if you don't start him for a fourth straight game, are you concerned with him um, not responding in the substitution role, or you know down the road this season if you don't if he doesn't move on, does, is he going to be a problem with the team? So you are concerned with that going down that road. Now on the other hand, with Shivas playing a three five two. Um, speed on the wings to counteract when you know those wing backs are caught up the field is very important. So Hurtado tactically might be the best option, and Camilo might be the best option uh, for other reasons, obviously. So yeah, kind of conflicted on that. I'm not sure who they're going to start. My call: I would start Camilo over Hurtado for this game. Now, Rennie hasn't given any indications this week as to who might get the nod, whether it'll be Hurtado, whether it'll be Camilo, so we'll just have to kind of wait and see when the lineup gets finally announced on Saturday. Neither of them featured in the reserve game against Edmonton on Tuesday, but those that did feature, they, they did well, and it was a 4-2 win. A much improved reserve team from what we saw a couple of weeks ago in the 3-0 defeat that they were given by UBC. Obviously, Edmonton are still kind of in the, the early throws of their training camp, so you maybe can't take too much from it from either side. But what, what did you make of what you saw? Um, I thought it was definitely, an, uh, they're continuing to improve, especially the, the second team from that horrible UBC game 
all the way up to this game. So it's definitely an improvement on that side. They scored four goals, which is awesome. Uh, even against a team that, you know, is just starting their preseason training. So, um, especially outside. Um, so it, it was a good start for them. Um, I thought, uh, <laughs> great that Paulo Jr. is kind of elevating from his domination of uh, college teams um, in the States and in Canada to now moving up into Division Two. so hopefully by halfway through the season he'll be able to get some MLS starts. Um, uh, I thought Russell Tybert was good in the middle. Um, I know some supporters in the stands were who were at the beginning of the game questioning that. They seemed to turn around by the end of the game, so it was good on that. Um, and Leveron goal, I'm not too overly too concerned about. Uh, that kind of stuff happens. I think he was more put in trouble from, from what I've seen of that. So not a big deal there. And everything else seemed to go well. Uh, the, so good overall game. I'm, I, I, obviously a big improvement from when they started out last week. Yeah, pa- Paolo Jr., he had, he had a really good game on Tuesday. I mean, the two assists, the goal. As you say, Russell Tiber, he was looking really sharp as well. So it's going to be good to see these guys kind of pushing. There's going to be some more reserve games lined up, both in the reserve leagues and just like friendlies against local university teams. We've got a game coming up against Western Washington University um, in April and then the reserve league starts. So it's going to be good to see these guys putting a little bit of pressure on the, the first team guys even just in, to get into the game day 18, I mean, that, that's good for the squad, good for the team to have that competition. And hopefully this is getting them some valuable minutes, some valuable experience. So if they are called to play in MLS action, they're going to be up for it and they're going to be able to come in and take over from the guys that are in there already. Now, it was early days, as we said, for Edmonton, but is, is there anyone on the, on the Eddie's team that really stood out for you? Uh, well, for the Edmonton, it was kind of difficult to figure out who was uh, some of their standout players, considering there was no number on the back, no uh, no no name on the back, and obviously a lot of turnover for them. So, you know, it, it, not the same players that you saw last year in some of their games. Uh, but a couple of standouts. Number one, obviously, I'm going to go to a fan favorite, it's West Knight. Uh, he came on at halftime. Really had some good runs up on the right side. It was really working hard. He scored a goal, obviously, which was fantastic. Got a big cheer from the stands. Um, he was good, I thought, at halftime uh, for the one half he played. Um, I thought Lance Lang, the left back, was solid. Um, he he was running quite a bit up and down the pitch, so he was good. Um, I didn't really notice anybody else. I was really concentrating on uh, Malin Roberts, who had started for them at center back. He's the uh, the kid who, the pretty young kid, who just recently got his Canadian residency, been talked up quite a bit in the Edmonton media, especially by Steve Sandor of the 11.ca. Um, so I wanted to really see what him, with him you could see the potential in him. He's very raw. Um, the only thing is is um, how much uh, soccer knowledge does he have, and Colin Miller pointed that out after the game. Um, he made some mistakes in, you know, covering runs and um, making the outlet pass up to the midfield. So there were some questions, obviously, but I think overall for, you know, being their first week and first game against uh, pros and everything like that, um, it was a solid performance from them, uh, especially in that second half. Edmonton certainly showed signs that they, they're going to be a much improved team this year. Even at this very early stage, you can kind of see the impact that Colin Miller is going to have on them. And 
like we both spoke to to Colin after the game, and and you can hear that interview on the West Coast Soccer podcast. So just follow the links on AFTN.ca. Look for the West Coast Soccer link at the top, and click into that, and you can hear the the interview that Steve and me did with Colin after the game. But he's got that passion. He's got that will to win, and. Even losing this game, even though it was just like a training scrimmage, he, he said it hurt, it kind of made him angry in the stomach. He wants to win every game. And that's going to be great for Edmonton. It's also great as well to see that they've got so much young Canadian talent there. And who knows, we might see some more Whitecaps guys going there. I believe that they had hoped to try and get Russell Tiber, Caleb Clark. Neither of those deals has seemed to, to come through at the moment. But they've definitely got a good base there, and I, I liked a lot of what I saw. And I'm hoping to take in, they're playing UBC on Friday, so I'll maybe go and head up to see that. And then they've got a game against Gonzaga, as we kind of mentioned, they're playing that on Sunday. And then, then they head back to Alberta for the start of the NASL season on April 6th. Now, as you mentioned there, the, the game also gave us a chance to see the return to Vancouver of a fan favourite from the D2 days and one of the original MLS guys, Wes Knight. I think for me, one of the highlights of the, the game on Tuesday between the Whitecaps and Edmonton was getting to see Wes Knight scoring his first professional goal. It, it's something that we'd hoped to see when he was playing for the Whitecaps. It never happened. We kept checking and watching the San Antonio Scorpion highlights last season, hoping he was going to get his goal then. It, it never came. So it's, it's perhaps fitting that he does get his first goal. I know it was only a training game, but still, he, he got his first goal playing in his first game against the Whitecaps. So it was great to see, and I'm sure it's a moment that he'll cherish, he'll he'll look at the game highlights, and it will really mean something special to him. Now, after the game, Wes was obviously in demand, a popular guy coming back to Vancouver. So he, he had a kind of impromptu media scrum, got to ask him a few questions. But then after that, he, he spent a bit of time with Steve and me, and we, we got to chew the fat with him about a few things. You can hear that now. And first thing, of course, everyone wanted to know, does he keep, still keep in touch with the guys that he used to play with here in Vancouver? Yeah, I keep uh, I keep good raps on everybody. You know, Gersh and I developed a pretty good relationship since uh, he was there with me in, in, the, uh, in the division before the MLS. So uh, I keep in touch with him, and, and he keeps me up to date with all that's going on. And also, as well, I'm sure you guys know, I'm, I'm dating a little Leonard Doozy, so <laughs> Bobby never is never short of a, of a chat about the Caps. So I, I love it. It's great to see that he's doing so well, and there's so many pieces to the puzzle here in Vancouver. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough job for Martin, I'm sure. What, what was it that made you make the move to Edmonton from San Antonio? Well, partly career and partly uh, interest with, with, you know, the love life. So uh, it was tough while I was in San Antonio, although we had a great season. Uh, when, you find, when you find a partner that, that you enjoy spending time with, it's tough uh, spending excess amount of time without them. So I think uh, my relationship and my career could align in, in Edmonton, and I think that was the reason that I made that decision. 
So how are you finding the cold there? Is it? Oh, it's it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible for me. Uh, being from South Carolina and spending last year in San Antonio, Texas, it's pretty terrible. And I don't I don't have a vehicle there yet, so I'm taking public transit to training every day. So I'm really getting the gist of what what life is like in in a, in Edmonton. But it's okay. It's warming up, and if the days can be like this, sometimes some uh, sometime soon I'll, I'll be in heaven for sure. Was it cold enough that you have to wear gloves? Yeah, well, for me, I think it's just uh, it's just something I wanted to do. Uh, to I, you know, I don't even know why I would wear them, but I might wear them all year round, or all year long if I'm going to be scoring goals. So, for sure. Now, with the Voyagers Cup game, Edmonton haven't got as long to prepare and get ready for the season right. as Vancouver does. How is that going to affect the team? Well, I think most importantly, what we're what we're focusing on is our defensive shape and and how we really want to become a team that that cannot be broken down in their blocks and I believe the rest will come uh, as it will you know we, we have to be able to take our chances on the break because Vancouver is going to have possession most of the most of the of the night so I think for us it's not uh, it's, it's not getting beat on uh, you know not being broken down easily and being able to be opportunistic in, in our opportunities you're playing in midfield there is that what you're more looking to do now well you know I spent I spent a lot of time this offseason uh, with West Vancouver actually uh, just really working on on, on my technique and changing the way that I play the game um, because I've got a lot of attributes to be an outside midfielder um, and, and I think that my confidence compared with, with my pace and my ability to, uh, to my engine to get in behind I think it fits me well so um, I just got to build on this this effort and, and keep moving forward I just Final couple of questions. Just looking back at your time in Vancouver, what are your happiest memories from playing here? Oh, my happiest memory is I was telling the guys last night when we when we were to, talking about each other um, as a team build, building thing. It was the the very first game in MLS when I had the the game ending assist and um, and also met Sonny Leonarduzzi that night. So it was uh, the culmination of the the beginning of a great MLS career and almost and, and maybe the end of my Vancouver time but that was the greatest day of my life and it was all the love and the passion that I had for this city and for this program um, culminating into one effort that was that was absolutely unbelievable and do you ever regret making that pass and not going for the shot yourself? no no I don't you know because I think that that suits who I am as a person um, you know if there's ever someone in need or in a better position for anything on the field on the field I, I believe that I would never let my personal needs overwhelm that so for me it was it was Hasley's day he needed the two he had a a monkey on his back being the DP and I think that was great uh, I, if I could do it again I would have done it the same way do you still have hopes of getting back into MMA? yeah absolutely I mean we all as athletes want to play at the the highest level and uh, I believe I'm, I'm close I had an opportunity to 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 be with the team in the MLS uh, at, at before Edmonton came about so um, if I continue to play like I did today and I build upon it I, I don't think that's very far shot away you, you're a huge uh, fan favorite in Vancouver how old are you? do you think you want to go for that role as well in Edmonton or, you know is that an important role for you to you know be? I, you're a, you're a massive hero. yeah well I, I, w- I spent my formative years here and I developed a, quite a good relationship with the media and with 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 the fans and when you when a city and a town and fans when they accept you like that it's it's very hard to find that same uh, love and admiration for another city. So I think my role here in Edmonton after four years of playing is, is more of a leadership role for the young guys because 28 is our oldest player. So I think instead of me putting in time and, and doing all those things, I think my my experiences should be shared with the younger guys trying to, to get them prepared for 
their, you know, careers. And so. uh, finally, uh, yeah, your shoulder. You, I know you injured it the last yeah, year. Yeah, how, long how was throw, it? A long the throw? long throws, it's, it's, it's gone and, and tucked away. But oh, okay. uh, now hopefully I can score some goals okay. and, and uh, won't be assisting via, via long basketball overhead tosses. Okay, so. thanks, <laughs> It was great catching up with Wes again after the game. It, he's just such a likeable guy, just someone that you can just chat away to for hours. And it's really good to see him enjoying his football again and he's he's really enjoying the environment in Edmonton he's not been there that long so far but you, you can tell he's happy he's he's really enjoying his football and when he was in Vancouver he was he was a fan favorite from the word go he, he was just one of those guys that the fans could relate to and they, they really took to him and he he repaid them by by being really good with them back. I mean, what what would you say your favourite Wes Knight memories were from from his time that he spent here? Oh, memories of Wes Knight. Um, that first season when he came in and he was assisting on so many goals and just darting up and down the on the right side, that was great. Uh, but a personal memory for me was uh, first MLS season. Um, it was a reserve game at Swangard Stadium. Um, so it was cool to see him back in the same uh, field that he played in in the USL. And uh, after I took my son there after the game, he gave uh, um, my kid a, a big high five and talked to him for a bit. And instantly, uh, West Knight became my kid's favorite, first favorite soccer player. So it's uh, that's a pretty big personal memory for me. Yeah, that sounds like the the West Knight that we we all kind of got to know here. I. I have quite a few good memories of of the time that he spent here. His dad came up for a couple of the games at Swanguard and hung out with the Southsiders and we had a good chat with him, had a barbecue, tailgating and he he was a great guy. He like he he really got into it. He stood with us in the south side. He could have sat in the stand and and he loved it and he he loved the attention that his son was getting and the, and the love that his son was shown. So I mean that that was good and then when we moved to MLS as well, Wes was one of those guys. He he was like the familiar face from the from the USL days and the the D two days. And whenever I went into the locker room, because I, I was just kind of starting off doing the interviews, hadn't been in the locker room before, so you look for a friendly face. So it was always Wes or Jay Nolly, and they always had time to speak to me and made me feel that I, I kind of belonged there and had had a, a place to, to be there asking them questions and even if I asked him some stupid questions he always had like a smile on his face and, and some good answers for me I, I remember speaking to him not in a formal interview but just kind of going in and speaking to him after he lost his place to, to Bilal Duckett and he was so down and it, it was kind of it was a hard thing for a player to take to, to know that you've lost your place and especially to a player that a lot of the fans didn't think was that that good in the first place either. And and Bilal, no no offense to him, but he he just didn't really have what it seemed Vancouver were needing at the time. And, and Wes seemed to offer a, a lot more. But by that point, you kind of knew that his days were numbered. But an, another another good memory I've got of Wes was was after the Man City game. He was the guy that got Balotelli's jersey, and he was just so happy to get it. And it it was just great. It's just seeing. These guys as well, yeah, we're watching them play football, but they, they're they're fans too. They're watching these guys every week playing in the Premiership or La Liga or Serie A, and it's like to then come up and play against these guys and to get their jersey. I mean, that that was one of the the best moments Wes had said of his playing career. 
And I, I should actually have asked him if he still has the jersey because he said he was going to get it framed. So I'm sure he did, and and he still really cherishes that. But it, it's great to see that he has these great memories of Vancouver. I mean, you know he's going to settle down with, with Sonny and, and move out here when, he, when his playing time is finished. But I wish him well. Hope he does well with Edmonton. I hope he does really well and he, and he gets a shot again in, in MLS. Who knows, maybe one day we'll see him back in a Whitecaps jersey. Now the Whitecaps might not be at home on MLS action on Saturday, but if you're still looking for your live football fix, there is a veritable feast of live football action that you could take in in the Lower Mainland on Saturday. Seriously, it's like you could spend the whole day watching football if you wanted. And it's going to be some really good games as well. If you're anywhere near South Surrey Athletic Park, the Fraser Valley Soccer League, they're having their cup final day. Five cup finals and a playoff game for you to take in there. The action kicks off at 11 o'clock at Turf 9 with the under-21 cup final between PMSC Lord Gunners and North Coquitlam United. There's also the Division 2 President's Cup Final, there's the Bradner Cup Final, which is the Division 1 teams, the Masters Cup, that playoff game that I mentioned for the, the spot in the Premier League between Poco FC and West Coast FC Inter. And the day rounds off with the the highlight of the day, the Showcase Cup Final, which is the Pakenham Cup, which this year has been contested between Abbotsford, Magnus and Forge United and PMSC Lord Co Gunners, and the action kicks off at Turf 9 at 4pm. So get along there, support the guys, see some fantastic football if, if you're anywhere in the area. Even if you're not in the area, it's going to be a beautiful day. Get in your car, get out and watch that. But if that doesn't appeal to you, there's other things you can do as well. It's like, head up to SFU for 7 o'clock, PVR the Shiva's game, it's going to be there when you get back. NCAA, NCAA, Division 2, SFU Clan, they're taking on Division 1 rivals, Gonzaga Bulldogs in a friendly, and that's going to be an absolute cracking game. And if you want to see more Gonzaga, they're actually taking on uh, FC Edmonton on Sunday out at Langley, and I think that's a 10.30 kick-off. So, I mean, some good games there. But I think for a lot of us, the highlight on Saturday is going to be watching some Whitecaps. Not the MLS guys, but it's going to be the residency boys. They're in action under-18s, under-16s. It's a Cascarian derby. Seattle's in town. Newton Athletic Park. Get along there for noon because it's going to be fantastic. Two Cascaria derby games. It's like, I'm not sure we're going to see another 9-0 drubbing that we saw last season when, when Seattle came to town. But it's going to be a great day and... There's a lot of the Curva Collective going to head out for that one, so it's going to be a really good atmosphere as well. And I know, Steve, you've been taking in as as many, if not more, residency games as as myself this season. What what are you looking forward to from, from Saturday? What are you expecting from, from the games against Seattle? The game this weekend against Seattle, uh, it's a big game for the U18s. Uh, they're just... Uh, they're. They're close to the top. I think Seattle is number one. They're number two. It's based on points per game, so it's not. It's very hard to indicate exactly where everybody stands. So the, it's a big game for them. Um, the U16s. It's going to be more of a more of a, again, a developmental learning process. 
don't expect much of that. And in fact, it could be kind of a lopsided game. So again, they're just going to be trying to work out their thing, get more experience, more development at this stage. Now, as you say there, it's kind of a top-of-the-table clash between Seattle and, and Vancouver for the under-18s on, on Saturday. So it's it's a game that I, I hope a lot of the guys can get out and watch because the recency boys really appreciate the support. They really want the guys to turn up and cheer them on. And making the playoffs last season at both age groups, it, it was a huge achievement. And... For the under-18s to get into finals week, to make it to the championship game and just narrowly lose out by a goal, I mean, that was that was a fantastic achievement. They were one of Canada's teams of the year. And after a slightly slow start, it's they've, they've done well, they've kind of turned it around and they're, they're having a really good season. There's eight games to go for both the 18s and the 16s, including the game against Seattle at the weekend. And most of those games are at home. There's, there's one away game against Portland next Saturday. But then after that, there's a, a string of six home games. So hopefully you can get out and, and see a little bit of that action. Now, it, it's been it's been a bit of a strange season for the, the 18s and the 16s. A bag of mixed results, different kind of starts. They've kind of come onto their games at different times. You've seen a, a few more of the games than I have. You were down in Bellingham recently for the, for the doubleheader earlier this month as, as well. So... I mean, what is your view of the residency so far this season? How, how do you think they're performing? The season so far for the residency has been a transitional year. Um, first of all, their coach, their new head coach, Gordon Forrest, came in. Um, it was early in the season, but still, they didn't have a, a preseason or training camp to go under what he wanted to do. So that was uh, one negative. Obviously, they had so many graduates from the U18 program. So many players left the team. Um and so those guys, uh, because of that, most of the starters this year are first-year starters. Um, and then another thing is is they've actually they boosted the UD team even more by graduating some U16 players early. And so, but they have started playing much better. Now, the U16 program, because of those graduated players, they came early from U16 to U18 this year. They're struggling because they're integrating a lot of young players. There's a lot of 98, 98s in that team. Um, so they have struggled to find that, you know, that winning way. But that's going to come with time. Most of these guys are going to be playing next year against guys that aren't even in the league yet. So they'll have a year jump on those guys. And so it's going to be more of a transition. Um, we'll see what happens uh, the rest of the year, but I wouldn't expect too much from the U16s. U18s definitely do have a chance at the playoffs. So, which ones of the under 18 players do, do you feel have impressed you the most? Who do you think's gonna to make an impact for the rest of the season into the playoffs? Who's kind of been your 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 standout stars this season so far? For the U18s, I think there's about four major standouts. Um, the first one being. Um, with standouts with the possibility of joining the Whitecaps in the future. Uh, first is Brody Tuma, the striker up top. Um, he's he's missed the last few games because of a wrist injury, but he's he's the real deal up top. He knows how to use his body in, in, in the box and everything, so um, can score and set up his teammates. He's going to be going to Duke, so he'll be going to NCAA college uh, next season, so don't expect him to be signed to homegrown contract right away. 
Um, another one is um, Marcos Bustos, who, like I said before, um, was one of those early graduates from UC. Started the season at U16, moved to U18. His game this past week, uh, the past weekends, a couple weeks ago, uh, fantastic. He in the second on the Sunday match, he basically scored twice, set up twice, and there were gorgeous goals and everything. So uh, he's definitely a, a guy to watch. Um, on the on the back end, a couple guys. Uh, one is uh, um, Jackson Farmer, um, big strong center back. I think if anything, if he does come back or 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 graduates for next year, I think he goes to NCAA only because of the fact that he's a center back. It'd be good for him to get a couple of years in the NCAA. But I know the Whitecaps are high on him. Um, and obviously, the the obvious one that everybody, a lot of people have heard of because he's played in reserve games, is Sam Adekube. Uh, left back, he's he basically makes great runs forward, knows how to play at, attack. He, this year, early in the year, he had a difficulty with defending, uh, moving up from the U16s to the U18s. I think that uh, with the year has gone by, that has improved. So he could be a, a guy that can definitely impress, might sign homegrown contracts for next season if the Whitecaps are willing to. I think with with the under 18s being up at the top of the table again and and looking to to be heading into the playoffs it, it's another fantastic achievement for the club especially when you consider how many of the the core of the team moved on at the end of last year I mean it was so sad seeing those guys that we've watched for the last 2 years come come to the end of their cycle and then all go their different ways hopefully at some point kind of coming together again, playing for the Whitecaps, PDL level, maybe in years to come at MLS level. But to have the the guys, as, as you've mentioned there, that's kind of stepped up and done well this year, it, it's been great to see. I mean, Brody Hutema, fantastic. 21 goals from his 18 appearances, and then Yassin Essa. I mean, he's chipped in great as well with it, with his 13 from, from his 19 appearances, and he's had another strong season as well. And... There's been a lot of the, the top under-16 talent that also moved up into the under-18s. And that did kind of decimate the, the under-18, or sorry, the under-16 under programme quite a bit. And they've kind of, they've been really looking towards youth playing a lot of the 14s and, and, and the 15s in the in the team. And yeah, it's been a bit of a struggle. They've, they've taken a, a few bad results along the way. But there's been a few guys stand out. I mean, for you, who's who have been the the stars of the under-16 team this season so far? The U-16s, they have a couple of guys that um, stand out. There's not... It's very difficult because they play... They play basically two different squads almost from first half to second half. Um, Obviously, their keeper has kept them in a lot of games, kept the score close. Um, uh, Marco Carducci, the U-17 player of the year, he's a big-time standout. I think he could be... They've had they have a good line of goalkeepers right now the Whitecaps and he could be the best out of all of them, so um, he's definitely a standout. One guy who I saw uh, he's been praised by lots of people that have watched the other games, but Thomas Gardner, great touch on the ball. I think he's he could be something special. He's a ninety eight, so he's still got a long time to go before he uh, the Caps have to make any kind of decision on him. And also, um, David Norman Sr.'s son, David Norman Jr., he has impressed at times. Um, he's still obviously a 98 as well, so he, he's going to... And there's a lot of guys in there, 98, so... And uh, 95, so th- these guys are going to be a, a long time 
uh, have a long time to develop before the, they have to consider whether they're going to go pro or NCAA. So, um, but the future looks bright. And uh, one thing that the uh, when I talked to Stuart Neely on that weekend, I went to those games. Is he says the even the younger younger groups are even more exciting. So expect a lot of a uh, lot of quality play in the future of residency games. It's great, great to hear all that. And of course, the next thing is we just need to get these guys making the MLS squad on a regular basis, but also making the team, getting minutes. That's what so many people want to see is like Canadian talent playing for the Whitecaps. And we're producing a lot and it will happen. It might be a couple of years, but we, we will see it. So if you want to know more about the residency, keep an eye on AFTN. We had our very successful residency week last year, which we're going to repeat again in June. So watch out for that, hopefully coinciding with the, the under-18s and the USSDA playoff week. So we'll, we'll have that coming up. And if you want to see them for yourself firsthand really soon, as I say, get along to Newton Athletic Park on Saturday. Under-18s kick off at noon. Under-16s kick off at 230 what more could you ask for on a, on a beautiful sunny day? Go out, see some live football, have a bit of banter with your fellow fans. It's going to be fantastic. So that's pretty much nearly all from us, but we're we're going to introduce quite a few little segments in our in our various podcasts that, that we do over the, over the coming year, hopefully coming years, and we'll kick things off. I think we'll we'll end today's show with. Something which we're calling the bucket list. So, what is the bucket list? Well, it's what you think it is. It's things we'd like to see, places we'd like to go, just general things we'd like to experience football wise before we kick the bucket. Every show, or every show that we decide to do this section, we're going to pick a topic and have a chat about what things in that topic we would like to, to have on our bucket list. So after watching the Mexico-US game the other night and seeing the wonderful Azteca in full flow, that got me thinking, football stadiums. Which football stadiums would I like to go and see a game in before I kick the bucket? So many in the world, and we'd kind of like to get your input as well, either through AFTN or or send us some ideas on Twitter and we'll read out some of the best of them next time we do this. So what about you, Steve? What stadiums in the world, what stadiums in MLS would you like to go and see some football matches in? There are just uh, just too, far too many stadiums that I would have on my bucket list. Um, if I was to specify three in particular, um, or three or four, whatever, uh, they're the ones in Europe especially that I go... Um, Old Trafford, uh, uh, San Siro for in Italy, um, either one of the two big stadiums in Camp Nou or the Real Madrid one in in Spain. Um, in Germany, I'd like to go to the one Borussia Dortmund play uh, Westfalenstadion. Um, that one especially just because of the fact that you get the whole back area uh, as a standing section. I think it'd be just cool to be in there, and they've had some wicked tifos in the past. Um, if you're making me pick one from MLS, um, I think the one I'd probably go to is Sporting KC Stadium. I'm not sure what they call it now. 
Um, but I think just because of word of mouth for there, I haven't seen too many games even on TV from there, but uh, word of mouth says they have a pretty good stadium. But the one thing I really want to do, instead of specific stadiums, are, what I would like to do is I like to go, when I go to a country itself, uh, and tour as many stadiums as possible in that country. So when I go to England, try to hit all the stadiums in one game or something like that. Um, but the, the if I was to put a bucket list on areas I would like to go to, I think one is South America. We watch some games in South America. And another one is, uh, thanks to our uh, mutual friend Devin, and his all his tweets. Uh, I'd like to see some games in Asia and in J- Japan and both South Korea. So that's kind of what I would like to do. Uh, but specific stadiums th- themselves, those are the ones I would pick. I was trying to work out how many stadiums I I had seen games in when when I I thought about doing this section. I kind of got to eighty, and I'm I'm pretty sure. There's going to be some that I've missed out somewhere along the line, some kind of really weird non-league Scottish or English ones that I, I've seen East Fife at in pre-season friendlies over the years that I, I've probably just forgotten about. Uh, there's been a couple of ones I've been to as well that I, I've not actually seen a game at the stadium, but I, I've been to the stadium on a tour or just popped in to have a, a look around or, or whatever. The the ones I, I really want to go to, I, some of the obvious ones, I'd love to see a game in the Azteca. I'd love to see a game in the Maracanã, uh, the new camp as well. I mean that that would just be a phenomenal experience, I think. And if you were going to maybe see a Barça Real Madrid game in the new camp, I think that would maybe be the the kind of epitome football experience that that you can maybe have. That there's there's been some some grounds in in recent years that I really regret not going to. I think when you become an expat, you you don't appreciate what you have football-wise when you're living in your own country. There were so many things I wish I had done when I was living back in the UK, which had hit up a lot more of the English non-league grounds, for, for example. One of the, the English league grounds, Chesterfield Saltergate, really wish I'd made a trip there. It was just a really wonderful, old-fashioned football ground, and it, it's sadly no longer there. And that, that's that's the thing. There's so many of the really great characteristic grounds that existed in England that just aren't there anymore. Or the ones that are there, they've had a complete makeover, so you can't actually tell the difference between one ground and another. It's basically just identikit, Lego-style grounds that you've got in the country now. So I really like the ones that have got a bit of character. And I agree with you, like going to a country and maybe trying to take in as many different games and as many different grounds as possible that that would be a fantastic thing to do in MLS I, I'm with you on that one as well I'd love to go and see uh, Sporting KC's ground I'd hope to go and see the game this year but unfortunately it falls on a day that I just can't make it to, to go for, for work reasons and really gutted that we're probably going to have to wait two years barring an MLS Cup final to to go there and make it along to the ground so I'd really like to see that one and Houston as well that just is another wonderful ground that at some point I want to, to go along and see I think my favourite ground that I've been to so far in in North America is Real Salt Lake's Rio Tinto I, I really enjoyed the trip there it's just it's kind of in the middle of nowhere but once you get there it's a fantastic view 
all around from especially from the top of the their visiting section which we were in but just as a football stadium it's just wonderful a lovely soccer specific stadium great vantage points great views from every single part of the stadium i made sure that i I walked all the way around the stadium just to to kind of just take it all in i like to do that when when i go to a ground for for the first time other grounds that i really would like to to have and ones that put are on my bucket list it's actually two of them in wales um wrexham's racecourse ground it's a fantastic old-fashioned ground still a lot of it isn't open like it was in the old days. It's like got the derelict terracing. But, I mean, it would be great to see that. And Newport County's Rodney Parade. It would be wonderful if both those teams could get back into the Football League again. It, it would just be fantastic. Halifax Towns, the Shea as well. That's another really old-fashioned ground that I, I, I'd love to go and and take a game in. And there's some in Scotland as well. I haven't been to every ground in Scotland. I never made it up to Ross County's ground. I'd like to go and do that. And an athletic came into the league after I moved over, so I've, I've never seen his five play there. So that, that would be something I really want to kind of hope to do as well. But there's just so many grounds in the world, and I don't think you can ever tire of getting new experiences and, and taking in, in the new grounds. Even in the lower mainland, I've been to see so many games now in different parks and kind of mini stadiums. And I, I still enjoy going to ones that I haven't been to before and, and seeing things for the first time. So what about everyone listening at home? What, what would be on your bucket list? What grounds would you like to go to? What MLS grounds do you really want to, to try and visit in the, in the next couple of years? And... Would you like to do what Steve does? Just maybe have a, a footballing holiday where you just go to a country and try and see as many football grounds as not. Let us know and we'll read out some of the, the best replies that we have in the in the coming shows. Well, that just about wraps things up for us here on episode one of this still time if you've got this far thank you for listening hopefully you've enjoyed this as we said it's our first attempt at this so it's kind of a work in progress you can send all your criticisms and critiques and what you would like to see and what we can do better either over on aftn.ca or drop us a line on twitter at aftn canada you can also follow the podcast's own twitter account at AFTN Podcast. So that brings us to the end. So I've been Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And you've been listening to There's Still Time. And until next time, take care. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.